Hello and welcome to Heilman and Haber, the stage and screen podcast coming to you from Casa de Quinn and 1111 Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Greg Heilman. And I'm Matt Haver. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Since 2020, we've been bringing you entertainment news and views, celebrating classic Hollywood, enjoying cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interviewing talented local actors and directors, and chatting with industry experts from LA to the UK. Welcome to episode 70, the second half of our interview with our friend Robert Bader. Robert is an author, archive curator, and the writer, director, producer of many things, including PBS's upcoming episode of American Masters, Groucho and Cavett, debuting for all you Seattle folks at 8 p.m. Tuesday, December 27th on KCTS 9. Tune in to discover the enduring friendship between television personality Dick Cavett and his mentor, iconic comedian Groucho Marx. Their relationship is chronicled through interviews with Cavett, archival footage, and interviews with contemporaries like George Burns, Jack Parr, and Woody Allen. In 2018, Robert produced and directed another story of friendship, Ollie and Cavett, The Tale of the Tapes, which won the Critics' Choice Award in 2020, the same year it debuted on HBO. Robert co-wrote the film with Cavett, chronicling Muhammad Ali's life and career through the lens of his many interviews with Cavett, and the documentary is available now to stream on HBO Max and on DVD. He's also produced critically acclaimed television documentaries Dick Cavett's Watergate and Dick Cavett's Vietnam for PBS, produced numerous archival DVD and CD releases, including five acclaimed DVD sets of The Dick Cavett Show, two of You Bet Your Life with Groucho, and two of Bing Crosby, the television specials. And Robert manages the archive of The Dick Cavett Show and is the curator of several important entertainment archives, including those of the estates of the aforementioned Bing Crosby, the Marx Brothers, and Danny Kay. He also serves on the board of directors for the Al Hirschfeld Foundation and Marx Brothers Incorporated. He's also helmed countless projects, shows, films, radio, and CD releases, including the launch of the Film Preservation Society's silent film restoration series on Blu-ray, with the 1925 film Too Many Kisses, which features Harpo Marx. Robert is also the author of Four of the Three Musketeers, the Marx Brothers on Stage, now available in paperback, and the editor of Groucho Marx and Other Short Stories and Tall Tales, an anthology of the comedian's lost writings. Robert's most recent book is entitled Speaking of Harpo, co-authored with the late Susan Fleming Marks, Harpo's widow. Susan appeared in three Broadway shows and 28 films before she turned her back on a show business career she never really wanted or enjoyed. The role of her lifetime came when she married Harpo Marks in 1936. Together they raised four adopted children and enjoyed one of Hollywood's happiest and most successful unions. But their 20-year age difference made Susan a young widow in 1964. Speaking of Harpo is Susan's account of her more than 30-year adventure with Harpo including encounters with people like Charlie Chaplin, William Randolph Hearst, Salvador Dali, Joan Crawford, Howard Hughes, Helen Keller, Bugsy Siegel, Sam Goldwyn, Ginger Rogers, and of course, the Marx Brothers. The book provides an inside look at the family and pulls no punches, discussing her brothers-in-law, who weren't always her favorite comedians. The book was released in July 2022 and is available everywhere fine books are sold. It would make an excellent gift for that Marx Brothers fan or Golden Age film buff on your list. And you can find a copy at speakingofharpo.com. We hope you enjoy the second half of our interview with the one and only Robert Bader. So you recently co-wrote Speaking of Harpo with the second eldest Marx Brothers widow, Susan. Um, the book is an inside look at the famous family from a different perspective and focused on her relationship with uh, with Harpo. Uh, how did that project come about? This, this project has a sort of a strange history, which goes back to the early 1990s. Now, Susan Fleming Marks passed away in 2002. Now, I worked mostly on this book with her between 1993. I met her in 1993, worked on it until about eight months before she passed away. We were still corresponding with updates to the book maybe a few months before she died. 
But what happened was I'd never met Susan. I was already friendly with her son, Bill, Harpo's son, Bill, for quite some time. And in 1993, I put out an anthology of Groucho Marx's lost writings called Groucho Marx and Other Short Stories and Tall Tales. Still available from Applause Books if you must get it. Uh, the paperback edition has additional material that was not in the original hardcover. So I sent a copy of the book to Susan. Bill gave me her address, and I sent her a nice letter with the copy of the book. And I said, all right, well, you know, maybe she wants to read it, maybe she doesn't. But there's a couple of things in it about Harpo that she might find amusing. So Bill said, yeah, send it to her. So I was coming out to L.A. a few months later, and I called Bill. I said, I'll take a ride down to Palm Springs and we'll have lunch. And he goes, well, why don't I set up a lunch so you can meet Mom? I said, hey, great. So I wasn't expecting her to say anything about the book. I wasn't going to mention it. Maybe she just tossed it away or something. I don't know. So I get there. I meet her. We have lunch. And without me asking, she says, I like your Groucho book. And then she says, in fact, I liked it more than I like Groucho. <laughs> wow, Susan Marks is doing shtick. This is great. Cutting right to it. So we had a nice conversation, and she asked me if I would be willing to take a look at a manuscript she was working on for her autobiography. And Bill started laughing, knowing that this guy would kill to look at the draft of your autobiography. <laughs> Do you realize who you're talking to here? So it, it came to be that uh, she was partially typing it, partially handwriting it and doing drawings to put it in. The manuscript looked like something that had been blown by a big fan and stacked up after it fell. Bill and I took it to a copy place in Rancho Mirage and made me a copy of it. And I took it home and read it, you know, read it on the plane, read it. And I got to say, it was not great. Her perspective is terrific, except she didn't really want to talk much about the Marx Brothers or too much about Harpo, she was writing a book about coping with being a young widow and her work in school system and as a world traveler. Didn't want to talk much about her early show business career. And the book was long. I mean, it was really long. And I got to tell you, I, I, I was honest with her, but I said, Bill, how do I tell her what I think? He goes, you tell her exactly what you think. That's why she asked you to look at it. So I took another trip out and I had my notes that I had written about the what I would suggest a better book. And I told her I thought it didn't focus enough on the things that would make people want to read her story. And it had too much stuff that no one's going to be able to get through. And I was waiting for her to yell at me or something. And then she just looked at me and goes, well, what do you plan to do about it? <laughs> oh, okay. So she wants me to write it with her. So we set up a time where I would do an outline and I would come with questions and a tape recorder. And I actually spent, I think, about nine or 10 days staying in her house. Every day we would do some interviews. I had a laptop with me. This is back in, I think, 1995 is when I went and stayed with her for the first time. And we did substantial amount of work. And I took it home and I wrote a new draft of the book. I sent it to her. Now, you have to understand that Susan didn't use a computer. So I printed this manuscript and I mailed it to her and she went through with her red pencil and she said, I don't like this. I don't like that. Where'd this go? I put this over here. I want this back in my book. I wrote this part and took it out. She was not kidding around. She told me what she wanted and what she didn't want. And it was a negotiating process for a few years. 
you know, I got her to talk about her old movie career and she didn't want that in the book. I said, but Susan, it's really interesting. People are going to want this. And she broke down a little bit and let me do it. And I tell this in the afterward of the book, so uh, I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but to convince her to talk about the movies, I had an old friend who used to work for the American Film Institute who's passed away. His name was Bob Burchard. He wrote some books you might know. He wrote a book about Cecil B. DeMille. He's a nice guy. And Bob managed to borrow some 16 millimeter prints of some of Susan's films. And I got a hold of the projector and we put a bed sheet over her giant television and we watched her old movies. And she was laughing and just crying with laughter. She called her daughter and told her how ridiculous these films were. And it opened her up and she started talking about things she remembered on the set. It was a lot of fun. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And I mean that in every possible way. She was delightful. She really trusted me. And then we never quite got the book where she wanted to be comfortable with it. And she said a lot of things in the book that were really honest. She pulled no punches. She said exactly what she thought of people, including the Marx Brothers. And she was starting to get nervous about putting it out. And then she turned the corner and said, well, it'll probably come out after I'm gone. It'll be your problem. Well, won't be a problem for me if you want to tell people that Chico drove Harpo nuts. (laughs) Doesn't bother me at all. So anyway, she did unfortunately leave us in 2002. And I put the book aside. I boxed up all the material. And, you know, I thought about it once in a while. And Bill and I would talk about it once in a while. And then it just kind of out of sight, out of mind. And I'm writing for The Three Musketeers. And I need some of the information that she provided. And I took the portion of that book where she described her elopement with Harpo. And I quoted the manuscript as it stood back in those days. And I put it in the book in Four of the Three Musketeers. And I cited the unpublished manuscript of Susan Marks in my bibliography. And then I started getting letters from people who said, how can I read that? When's that coming out? Why don't you put that out? And the simple answer was not really my call. I got to get Bill Marks to say it's okay. And, you know, I probably need to do a little bit more work on it. It's not quite there. And during the pandemic, I was looking for things to do. And I said, Bill, hey, how about it? He goes, yeah, go ahead and do what you think. You know, mom's not here to push you around anymore. Just make it what you think it ought to be. (laughs) And I think she'd have been very, very pleased. Well, first of all, she'd been very pleased with the reaction it's gotten. People love it. I mean, I'm so pleased that people are just really enjoying the book. She'd be very proud of it because it really is her story and stuff that she was really adamant about including is in there. It's just not 75 pages of school board meetings. She thought that was more interesting than having Groucho Marx for a brother-in-law. <laughs> well, on the on the good side, for all those college students out there who have no idea why they even put bibliographies in their papers, this is proof people read bibliographies. That's right. Yeah, I would say they do. I spend a lot of time on source notes and bibliographies because, uh, you know, well, first of all, Four of the Three Musketeers is published by Northwestern University Press. They're pretty serious about that stuff. It had to go through the editorial board. I mean, somebody told me that if I wanted to go out there and spend a semester at Northwestern, I could get a doctorate for this book. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a little cold there, so I'm not going <laughs> Did it almost seem like like her version of it was it almost therapy for her? You mentioned she seemed to focus on a lot of the 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 things around being you know a recent widow. Did it seem like it was just therapy and she was just writing these things down? What she ended up telling me, and I didn't know this when I first started with her, 
She began writing the manuscript as part of a writing course she was taking in some adult education program, and she was in the course with Groucho's third wife, Eden, and they both were writing autobiographies as part of this course. I use Eden's autobiography, unpublished, also as a source. I don't have any claim to that. Her, let me think of who this is. This would be her nephew provided it to me. You know, he let me use it as a reference source. I don't know if it's going to get published, but maybe I'll ask him because speaking of Harper, was doing pretty well. So they both wrote these autobiographies in a writing course. And I think for Susan, maybe it was, like you say, a little therapeutic, but I think she was also trying to establish her own identity. And she wanted to say, Susan Marks did these things and she did good work on the school board and she ran for public office and she was a good civil servant and all that stuff but she had a pretty damn interesting life before she even met harpo you know for someone like susan even with the last name of marx it's so easy to you know fall into the shadow of the famous spouse the famous sibling the famous mom the famous dad but she had a history uh in show business herself broadway to hollywood like you alluded to with the films that she made harpo was quite the confirmed bachelor what was it about this young lady that that so attracted him to her uh they ended up eloping you said you know she was probably the first girlfriend i mean harpo had a lot of girlfriends all the marx brothers had a lot of girlfriends <laughs> even some of the married marx brothers had a lot of girlfriends <laughs> you, you know which ones i'm talking about yeah uh, gummo and groucho generally very very faithful to their marriages Zeppo and Chico, not so much. So the idea that Harpo was this man about town dating like all these different women, and she comes along, and she's not quite as, how should we say, compliant as some of the others. And he's taken with her, and she's funny, and she's smart. He wasn't used to really smart women. Groucho used to really treat Susan differently because she was very smart. He respected her. She told me that Groucho never got fresh with her, never gave her any trouble because he wasn't used to smart women. He married, well, this is what everybody in the family says, he married three essentially stupid women. With all due respect to anybody who loved them, I'm just saying that this is what the reputation within the family was. Susan was really smart and she knew what she was doing and Groucho had a lot of respect for her, and she always felt that Groucho would not have been able to be married to somebody who was really smart. An interesting perspective. He liked to be able to verbally dominate, and he couldn't pull that with Susan. And he liked the way she took good care of Harpo. You know, Groucho really, I and mean, Susan said something really funny. I did this video interview with her that's on our website, speakingofharpo.com. It's about an eight or nine minute interview I did with her in 2001. It's a funny story. I was doing a lot of audio taping with her. I said, you know, someday I may make a documentary and I'm going to need you in it. So let's put one on video. She said, no, no, no. I have to go to the beauty parlor. No, I hate going in front of the camera. Said, Come on, I'll drive you. So I ended up getting her to do this twice. She did it in 1998. She did it in 2001. The 1998 interview, she didn't want to tell me anything. Either. So it's kind of a frustrating video to watch because She's evading all of my questions, but in 2001, she kind of <laughs> loosened up and she was really, really funny and good. And one of the things she says was, uh, Groucho liked what I was doing for Harpo, whatever the hell he thought that was. <laughs> <laughs> so you should uh, suggest, you know, put the link up to that website, speakingofharpo.com. You can see that really charming uh, interview with her. She, yeah, she's we will. Great. She's just a hoot. 
Well, just like we asked you about maybe an inside baseball perspective on Groucho uh, from your conversations with Dick Cavett, when you were working with Susan or putting this together, did you learn anything about the Marks family from her perspective that you may not have known before? Or even something, because I know you you taught, you document in the book about, you know, some of the experience, uh, the interactions with other celebrities and other A-listers and, and things like that. Anything along any of those lines that you may not have known before or just surprised you? You know, it's funny you ask that question because I know so much about the family and the dynamic that I take for granted that I've known it for so long, but I know it because of her. When I started talking to Susan in the early 90s, I was overwhelmed by how much inside stuff she was sharing with me, telling me things about Harpo and Chico's relationship in the 40s and 50s, where they would do a nightclub booking and Chico would screw everything up and Harpo would have, you know, heart troubles because of it. You know, these things I never imagined. And they're in the book. And they're, in some cases, they're kind of heartbreaking and frustrating. But she told me this stuff. And I also got to know Groucho's daughter, Miriam, pretty well. And I was very close with Chico's daughter, Maxine. And you get stories that you piece together from different perspectives. And there's a very tough story in Susan's book about when Maxine came to her in tears about something awful that her father had done. I had heard this story from Maxine with a slightly different twist, making it a little bit less horrific. But Susan gave you the straight story. Now that's in the book, so I'm gonna leave that as a cliffhanger. You guys probably know what I'm talking about. You're smiling because you know what I'm talking about. But it's it's very, very difficult when I first hear these stories to say, these are the marksmen. I love these guys, but they're human beings. And they occasionally did lousy stuff. And they occasionally hurt the people that love them. Uh, I'm in the middle. Well, I'm not in the middle. I'm just about finished writing a pretty in-depth biography of Zeppo. And I've been interviewing people close to him. I interviewed his sons. His last girlfriend, uh, she's still around because, let's face it, Zeppo liked him 47 years younger. There's stories that make you shake your head about this guy. And we love the Marx Brothers, and then you get to the point where, do I want to know everything about them? And I do. And I think it's told well. It's going to make people look at them a little differently. I don't think you're going to watch Duck Soup and laugh less, so I think it's okay. But I really have learned way more than I ever thought possible about these guys, in large part from knowing Susan, and Maxine, Miriam, to a very small degree. I knew Arthur, but he wasn't uh, a big fan of my work. So <laughs> <laughs> I was saying, when I told Arthur I was putting together the anthology of Groucho's writings, his reaction was, that's a terrible idea. My father was a terrible writer. Oh, wow. <laughs> That tells you a lot about Arthur. <laughs> yeah, big time. Well, speaking of Harpo as a man, uh, the couple, they were married for 28 years before his death in 1964. They raised four adopted kids together. What was he like as a husband and father? We know these guys from the from the screen uh, so well, but uh, just as a man about the house, what was he like? Well, I'll tell you the best way to describe that is something that I learned from knowing the children of the Marx Brothers. Zeppo's son, Tim, told me that they loved being at Harpo's house because 
Zeppo and his wife, Marion, didn't have the greatest marriage by the time their kids came along. And Tim and Tom Marks had pretty crappy childhoods because of Zeppo and Marion not being the greatest parents. But Harpo's house was like their refuge. They'd go over there because they all lived in Beverly Hills. It was all very close. They could just hop on their bike and go to Harpo's house. Miriam used to escape Groucho and his first wife, Ruth, with their bad marriage and go to Harpo's house. Bob Marks, Gummo's son, from a very happy marriage, Gummo and his wife, Helen, were married forever, and they were very happy, but Bob still loved going over to Harpo's house. <laughs> he told me a story that he would just go sit in front of Harpo's window and listen to him practice the harp in the morning. This guy drew kids to him from the neighborhood, but all of his nieces and nephews loved being there, and they loved Susan. That was the family that they all wished they had in these really dysfunctional homes. The Groucho's three marriages were very dysfunctional. Chico barely had a marriage. I mean, you know, he was married to Betty technically from you know, 1918 to 1958, but moved out in 1941, didn't get divorced until I think 50, mid-59, he got divorced when he married his second wife because he couldn't marry Mary D. He lived with her since 1941, but Betty wouldn't grant him a divorce until she wanted to get married again. So their, kid, their kids came from <laughs> yeah. horrifically dysfunctional households, except they all loved going to Harpo's house because he was just the angel of the family. Everybody loved Harpo. Everybody wanted to be around him, around his kids, around Susan. That tells you a lot. Yeah. So that book is kind of a counterpoint almost to Harpo's on, own autobiography, Harpo Speaks. Should we look at, speaking of Harpo, as complimentary to the other books so that, you know, if you read the two together, you kind of get a full picture? Well, complimentary for sure. But I'll tell you one thing about it that nobody's asked, but I like to tell them this. Um, Harpo lived another three years after Harpo Speaks came out. And you don't know anything that happened to him in those last three years. And there's some really important stuff. I mean, major things in his life occurred between 62 and 64. And, you know, the book was published in the spring of 61, but he's, you know, doesn't really cover much after 1959 anyway. So the last, you know, four, four years of Harpo's life are not even described in Harpo Speaks. Plus, you get Susan's perspective on how Harpo Speaks came to be, the process of writing Harpo Speaks, and the parts of his life that he didn't even discuss in Harpo Speaks. Then there's the stories that have her perspective, where his perspective may not be entirely accurate. Susan writes in the book, um, paraphrases, because I don't remember the exact wording, but Harpo Speaks is a wonderful book, but you don't want to set your clock by it. <laughs> He's really tough on dates and places. He messes that stuff up a lot. I mean, even as a Marx Brothers fan, if you read for the Three Musketeers, I occasionally have to point out how Harpo's timeline is completely askew, because <laughs> the one thing the Marx Brothers did later in life was they all lied about their age. And it was partially vanity, but it was also partially to get a better insurance rate when they signed at MGM, which is why you never see Zeppo's age altered, because he didn't have to. So the March Brothers shaved five years off their lives in 1935 when they signed at MGM to get better insurance, or so they claimed. But when Harpo tells the story of allegedly wetting his pants when he debuts as one of the four Nightingales, he says he's 12 years old. He was 19. 
can see why he edited that, perhaps. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, <laughs> if I was telling the story of wetting my pants on stage, I wouldn't want to be 19. I'd want to yeah. be, I'd want to be yeah. eight. <laughs> you know, yeah. Not, even yeah. not even 12. Yeah. <laughs> right. So there's all sorts of stuff like that in the book where the timeline is completely crazy and it makes no sense. So Susan was not exactly perfect in her timeline either, but she had me. And I'm completely nuts about that stuff. Um, a great example is we were talking about one of their various trips from California to the East to do some television. And she says, we stopped off in Bucks County and I went antique shopping with B. Kaufman. And I said, hang on a minute. This couldn't possibly be the trip where you came to the East Coast to be on the Ed Sullivan Show for Harpo Speaks because B. Kaufman had been dead for 20 years. <laughs> and, and then she said, well, you just put it wherever it belongs in the book, but this is what happened. <laughs> so that's kind of the way we rolled. You know, she would tell me a great story and I'd say, okay, that can't be 1961, more like 1941. That's where you get <laughs> so, the big bucks, Robert. Yeah. So no, that was fun though. It was a lot of fun to work with her because she had a great sense of humor about it. I have these, tapes of her that were just laughing. I, I went back and listened to a couple of the tapes a few years ago because this fellow named Josh Frank was doing a graphic novel, the Salvador Dali Marx Brothers uh, screenplay treatment called Giraffes on Horseback Salad. And he wanted to know if Susan ever told me anything about the Dali visit to Harpo's house. And he did go there. And she did tell me about it. But I hadn't been working on the book at that time. So, I said, yeah, when, you, when you're in L.A., come over and I'll, I'll try and find it. And I found a couple of quotes for him. And I was going through the tapes and I hadn't remembered them. And half of these tapes were just she and I laughing about her putting something from 1930 into 1950 or something like that. So yeah, it was just fun to work with her. She was great. Let's see if you got if you got to work at something. It sounds like a lot of fun. What you've been able to do and these people you've been able to meet, and it's always a pleasure having you on because you're such a wealth of knowledge. And uh, I hope the book is successful. It's out in uh, on hardcover now. Everywhere fine books are sold. Correct. Uh, it came out in July, right? It came out in July. I, yeah. It already has a second printing. Uh, I, there's the old hey, joke. Congrats. We, That's great. We, we had to make a second printing. The first one was blurry. I think it's a joke, <laughs> the joke we like to use there. But uh, it, it's been a joy having that book finally come out because now people can stop saying, why don't you put that book out? When's it coming out? Well, it's, it's out. out. Stop bothering me. Go buy the book. That's phenomenal. So speaking of Harpo.com. Yeah, there's a lovely video of Susan taken in 2001. She's really, really wonderful there. Everybody who's interested in Harpo, go look at that video. And if you're still on the fence about buying the book after that, you're just hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's one thing we've learned about you, Robert, is that you're never quiet for too long. You've always got something going on. So we've got the, the Groucho and Cavett film coming up. We've got, speaking of Harpo, you've alluded to a few other things. What else are you working on? What's next? The Zeppo biography is just about finished. Got a little bit of research left to do on it, almost finished. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I go to New York for my Groucho and Cavett screening, I'll be spending at least one afternoon at the New York Public Library digging for some dirt on Zepp. Well, that's going to be a great trip. Uh, I hope it's... Uh, is Mr. Cavett going to attend with you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't think Alec Baldwin's showing up just to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, give him our best. We are big fans and uh, so looking forward to the 27th. We'll have the whole family gathered around the TV set just like back in the old days and uh, wish you the best of luck with uh, the New York trip and and all the, uh, the razzmatazz around this new documentary. 
Well, thanks, guys. I like uh, doing your show because you guys actually really do give you a lot of time here. This is cool. Oh, you know, hey, our pleasure. I, I get to prattle on and just, you know, you guys will probably cut this down <laughs> to 15 minutes, but, but I won't know no, that. Not a so. chance. No, two, no, no. Two, two full episodes uh, run right up to the holidays so that people have that uh, front of mind when it, when the 27th wow. hits. But uh, you, you, you guys. <laughs> one of these days we'll get down to L.A. and we'll get to just sit around a table with some cold beverages and uh, oh, just shoot the breeze. That. I'd love that. We'll, we'll look forward to that. We could use some sunshine about this time of year. Well, I, I was in Seattle recently and, you know, it was cold and rainy. <laughs> yep yep that's it well look us up next time you're in town and we'll do the same and uh robert thanks again so much for your time and best of luck with everything you got everything you're juggling <laughs> thank you very much guys enjoyed it always happy to be with you well thank you again to our guest robert bader his new book speaking of harpo co-authored with harpo's widow the late susan fleming marks is available now everywhere fine books are sold and you can order copies and get more info at speakingofharpo.com and make sure to mark your calendars for PBS's American Masters, Groucho, and Cavett on Tuesday, December 27th at 8 p.m. on KCTS 9 here in Seattle. And if you enjoyed episode 70, please make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend or two. You can find all the latest on HeilmanandHaver.com along with all of our past episodes, stage reviews, and popular segments like Get to Know a Theater and In the Mix. And of course, behind-the-scenes artist interviews. As always, thank you for supporting local theater and for joining us on Heilman and Haver. 